Thank you, Carlos. We are in a series called One Word. There was a pastor one time, and he talked about how if we look in the beginning of the Bible, we see a tree. And then if we, that's back in Genesis, because that's the beginning of the Bible. But if we look at the end of the Bible, which is in the book of Revelation, we see another tree. And he talked about how a lot of times as Christians, we can either be focusing on one of these two poles, but we don't realize, or maybe we don't think about the fact that we really need a God who's with us between the trees. We need to know that God is here now, that God is active now. And so this whole series has been an attempt to kind of look at the reality we see in Scripture that we see between the trees, from the, that actually not, is not merely between the trees, but what God is saying from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, and looking at that and trying to draw some reality from it and saying, what is this saying to us? What is God saying throughout Scripture, and what is he saying to me now, and, and how does he want me to launch out of here as a result of that? This week, what we're looking in on is the concept of community. And community is something um, that every single person understands we have a need for, or maybe just sociologically, we understand that there's a need for community. But we, a lot of people disagree on the origin. Why? I mean, is it just that we're tribal people, that we just need to like, gather together, or we need to feel loved? Some people think that, that um, the idea of love is just a facade. It's something that biochemically we, we have in our head, that just it, we have kind of duped ourselves into thinking that we need to be loved or that we should give love or that it's right to love. That it's kind of like a, it's a, a misstep in, in the evolutionary process. But see, what Scripture says, when we look at Scripture, is we understand this, this concept of love and community is far deeper than that, and it goes far further, even back before Genesis. See, because in Scripture, we understand that the source of community is God, and that is that, and God was before the creation of everything. Before Genesis starts to spit out the reality of DNA being created, or photosynthesis, or Bambi, or anything else being created, before humanity is created, we see that God is. God is. And, and God isn't just merely, he's not merely just, you know, God. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, the triunity of God is from eternity past. And so the source of community, the source of love, love happens before people are on the planet in order for God to love because throughout eternity you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit operating with one another in this concept of service, submission, love. Equal. Equal and yet, and yet serving one another. The, the early Greek um, church leaders had a word for this. They said if you've got two people or three people in some type of cultural dance where they're circling around and they're following each other's lead and they're, and they're just in, in total choreography, the word for that that they had was perichoresis. And perichoresis means, perichoresis means circle dance. And they said that's the picture of the Trinity. Submitting to one another, serving one another in a circle. And that is pre-creation. And so this concept of God is, from the, from the essence of God, is creation and community. If we take a look at uh, what Tim Keller wrote on it, he said this, If there is no God, then everything in and about us is the product of blind, impersonal forces. The experience of love may feel significant, but evolutionary naturalists tell us that it is merely a biochemical state in the brain. But what if there is a God? Does love fare any better? Well, it depends on who you think God is. If God is unipersonal, meaning the Trinity isn't a reality, God is just God, 
if, if it depends on who you think God is. If God is unipersonal, then God created other beings. Bef- until God created other beings, there was no love. Since love is something that one person has for another. That, this means that a unipersonal God has power, sovereignty, and greatness from all eternity, but not love. Love then is not the essence of God, nor is it at the heart of the universe. Power is primary. However, this is the greatest however, however, if God is triune, then loving relationships in community are the great fountain at the center of reality. When people say God is love, I think that they mean that love is extremely important or that God really wants us to love. But in the Christian conception, God really has love as his essence. It is the purpose of God because he is essentially, eternally, interpersonal love. Before creation, God is love. This isn't just something that God picked up along the way, figured out how to do once humanity was created. Oh, I'm so glad that I created you because now this idea of love is something, it's a good idea. No, from eternity past, God is modeling this concept of submission, service, and love within community of himself. We move on then, and we see God embedding that community into humanity. First and foremost, a relationship and a community between mankind and God. But God's saying, that's not the end of the story. I'm going to add to that, because in Genesis 2.18, we see it's not good that man should be alone. Now, just as a sidestep, a brief sidestep, we've messed up this verse big time. Because what we've often done with this verse is saying, it's not good that man should be, and we just kind of like scratch out alone, we say single. It's not good that mankind should be single, or it's not good that mankind should be unmarried. That's not what that passage is saying. Yes, do we see the the very first community starting off with the husband and wife as spouses? Absolutely, for sure. But we know that that wasn't God's full-on dream or the holistic dream that he had because we see in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul saying, I wish that all of you guys were like me. I wish you were all single. But I guess, you know, you can't all be single like me, as awesome as I am. So I guess if you have to get married, get married. But this verse is not saying that it is not good that man should be single. It's not good that man should be unmarried. It's not saying that at all. Because of the fact that if we, if we do that culturally, what we st- end up doing, whether it's in church culture or it's in the culture as a whole, what we'll end up doing is starting to cause people to think, I am not complete until I have a romantic relationship. If I'm minus a romantic relationship, then I am, I am in a situation where I'm, I'm not as valuable, I'm not as important, I'm not culturally as va- valid. And it causes people to start to draw their value and their... their uh, individual worth based and built on something that only God can establish and provide. God did not say it's not good for man to be single. He said it's not good for man to be alone. God gave us community. So if you're single and you've been getting the massive pressure from parents to drop your standards so that someone will actually date you, just let them know, no, you know what? Actually, I'm, I, I, may, be, I may be single, but I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I have community. God has established community, not only between me and him, but me and the church, me and, me and others. This is something that we, God's gift to us was within community, not merely in marriage. From that point on throughout the Bible, we see something taking place where people constantly and consistently are choosing to define community built and based on their own parameters separate from God. And whenever you built and, and design community outside of God, culturally, it ends up in self, selfishness, self-centeredness, 
bitterness and violence. It ends up going from being this place of peace to being this place of disaster. And so we see the community imploding. We see in the book of Genesis how this ultimately surfaces where the entire planet is is filled with so many people that are so violent and so toxic with one another that God cleans the slate completely and he destroys all of creation minus one family. That family was the seed of a new community because the other thing we see from that point on throughout scripture is God tenaciously drawing humanity back to his concept of community over and over again. He does that by preserving Noah's family. He does that in Genesis chapter 12 by saying, Abraham, we're going to have a, a, a family within Abraham. That This is going to be a community that's going to show all the other world communities the love and grace that I have, the, the amazing truth of who I am. So God is, I don't know if, you, if, you're, if you're in a family right now where like people are splintered at all or there's like one sibling that's just rogue or maybe you're the rogue sibling. <laughs> I don't know. But um, if, if, if you've ever been the type of person, I'm the oldest in my family and so I'm the peacemaker, which stinks because if, you're, if, you're, if you view yourself as the peacemaker or other people look at you as the peacemaker, you end up trying to bring people together that don't want to be together. And do, does anyone relate to that? No, but you guys are all the younger kids. All right, whatever. God tenaciously is operating as the peacemaker to say, I'm bringing this group of people that are splintered back home over and over again. But not just back together as a unified people, as humanity. His intention is larger than that. His intention is to build community with them, to actually dwell with them. When when that community that he's preserved is exited out out of Egypt, they're wandering in the wilderness, and as they're wandering in the wilderness, God instructs them to build this. What is this? Tabernacle. What does tabernacle mean? Nobody uses it because we don't say it. But if you drive home today, you're going to drive home to a tabernacle. Whether your tabernacle is a house or an apartment or a tent, that's your tabernacle. That's your dwelling place. And God said, set up a dwelling place, a tabernacle, and this is how I want you to orchestrate your community. I'm at the center. Make me the center of your community where you know that you have, that I'm with you, that I am present with you. And all of, and and God in, in the book of Exodus gives them the instructions to put their tents all around it. It says in Exodus 25, 8, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. God really wants to be with people. God wants to be with us. And we see that surfaced with an exclamation point when we get to the New Testament account of what God is doing in Bethlehem. When Jesus is born, and and, and before Jesus is born, when the angels are proclaiming this to Joseph, they say he's going to be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wasn't simply going to be spiritually present. He was going to be physically present. In the book of John, we see that Jesus, the divine word, became flesh and And they even use the word, tabernacled with us, dwelt with us. He made his home with us. He moved into the neighborhood next to us. Jesus was walking alongside of us. Why? Because God from the very beginning had this dream of community. And even after that dream was broken from our rebellion, throughout the rest of scripture, we see him aiming to rebuild that community between us and him. To the point where Jesus is communicating. You want want to know what you need to do? Love God and love others. I'm reestablishing my brand of community that's different than your brand of community. And not only that, Jesus, this God-man, does something that people wouldn't assume God would do, nor 
people would assume righteous men would do, which is to make community with the lost. Jesus is called a friend of sinners. He's not building a community just with the religious elite, not just with the cream of the crop. He's going to the people that make you and I comfortable, uncomfortable, and he actually goes to them and says, I'm spending time with them, which made all the religious people uncomfortable. God becomes man and builds community with the lost. And as Jesus' imminent death on the cross is approaching, and he knows he's got this friendship base with people that are following him, and you've got, you're hearing Peter saying things like, I know who you are. You're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living. You're, you're the son of the most high. I know who you are. And all of a sudden, everything is just leading to this perfect, like, why don't we just put glue all over this and just freeze frame this so that this, could, this reality could continue on. Jesus knows that he's going to his death on the cross. And so he wants to lay a foundation for when his disciples see the tragedy of what they're about to witness with that, when they experience the trauma of that experience, He wants to assure him with something. Just because it looks like community is lost, just like it looks like, just when it looks like the community with God is gone, I'm going to give you someone else. Someone else just like me. And Jesus promises forever community through the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. And and in Greek, it's another advocate just like me to help you and be with you forever. You are not alone. You may have come in here with a a massive amount of weight where you had lots of anxiety because of stuff that's taking place at work. If you're in Christ, you know that you have community with him. You have community with God. You you have actually entered into that perichoresis, that circle dance of love between God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're there. You are not alone. If you've come in here and you've got tons of anxiety because of stuff that's taking place in your family, and you're realizing that it's less than 150 days till Christmas, and you know it's going to be World War III. You are not alone. You are not alone. You've been invited into this circle dance of love and community where you are present with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit himself is indwelling you no matter where you go. No matter where you are, you have that community. And that's promised. And after Jesus dies on the cross and he rises again, he gives that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit um, comes to, to, the, to what is now called the church. And all of a sudden, this brand new community arises. A new community launched in the church. And I don't know what your backdrop is or, or what your, your, when you think of church, if you're thinking cathedrals or you're thinking of NBC or you're thinking of something radically different. But what the church was, what the definition was, was in Acts 2. Uh, 42 to 44. And it says this, they devoted, this, this group of people that they've just, they've seen Jesus crucified, they know that he's risen again, they now have the Holy Spirit. Understanding God has made community with us. And so we're just gathering together. When they just gathered together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Each or every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this, is, this is an amazing new community. And, and again, as we talked about last week, this shocked the world that this movement actually kicked off. But look what was at the core of this group. It starts off with the fact that they were centered around the teachings of Jesus. 
This reality that Jesus has, has, has bridged the gap and built community between us and God. We've done enough to make God angry. He deserves to be angry at us. We've done enough to go to hell. He deserves to send us to hell. And yet, this Jesus, God, becomes man and makes a way for me to come back home. And he didn't stay dead, but he rises again. And Jesus taught his apostles, taught the disciples, all the stuff that was in the Old Testament that was all about him. So basically, what they do is they're looking through the whole of the Old Testament and Scripture. And they're learning all about Jesus over and over again. They're diverse, but they're unified. Earlier on in this passage, it says that every group of people around the globe, all the, all the believing Jews around the globe were gathered in Jerusalem and were represented by the people who received the Holy Spirit. So that means that Africans, that means that Arabs, that means Europeans, that means Asians were there. All of these groups of people are there, and, and, but these were all, this was a diverse crew, but it was a diverse crew of Jewish people. All of a sudden, they get this message from the last words of Jesus of take this message and go to everyone else. This is for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. They were diverse, but they were unified. They recognized that their tribe was not what kept them tight. They were totally diverse, total melting pot, but that didn't matter because that was a reflection in a picture of heaven. Not only that, but they were generous. They shared not only their life with one another, but they shared their stuff they, they realize that, that if everything is God's and, and everything, God has given me this community, within this community it's not just strangers anymore, it's family. So I'm going to pour into it and I'm going to lean in hard. Not only that, they were grateful. Do you know why we sing here at Manuka Bible Church? Have you ever wondered why we sing here? It's not because this is what church people do, although it, it is what church people do. The reason we sing, and it's not because you guys are all amazing vocalists. You are not. And if you've ever stood next to me, you know that I am not. The reason we sing, and Pastor Carlos, even though he sings like an angel, tells us to belt it out with all of our heart is not because we sing well, and it's not because churches just do that. It's because we're grateful. It's because there's something about when, when you actually drop your pride enough to raise your voice and sing out the words of doctrine, sing out the words of what Jesus has done for us. There's something that registers there for us. There's something that, that expresses gratitude. And it's not just singing in the shower. It's not just singing in your truck on the way to work. It's singing around other people. We are gathering. We're a gathering of people who are grateful to Jesus for what he's done. And not only that, they were experiencing life change. They were seeing people get saved. They were seeing God do miracles. It was phenomenal. And, but but this, and as wonderful as this was, it wasn't as if everything was just epic. And they never had any issues Read past Acts 2 and you see that the church just started disagreeing with one another. They started dividing. Paul splits off from his friends. All these different groups of Christians that are all unified start to splinter up. You see, you read the, the letter to, to the church in Corinth and you realize that, that Paul is like calling them to the mat. So not only were they all of these things, they were also experiencing accountability. They would come back and they would apologize. You would see forgiveness surface. When sin was there, you, you had people who loved each other enough to come alongside each other and say, this is not right. This isn't right. And I'm saying, not saying that to be judgy. I'm saying that because I care about you and we're in a family. This, this was the church. This was this beautiful thing that God did. And then when we get to the end, again, we talked about that the Bible starts with a tree. All of a sudden, we get to the end in the book of Revelation. 
In Revelation, we see what was leading from the whole of Scripture up, that ultimately there was going to be a judgment day. There will be a judgment day. And there will be a death of community. Revelation chapter 20 describes this. 20 and 21. Just this reality of the fact that there is a place where those who have said with their life, I don't want your community. I don't want a community that's built and based on you being my leader. God, I don't want a community where you're master. I want a community where I am. I want a community where I call the shots, where I I make the judgment calls on my life and my morality. It's built and shaped around me. I'll take from you what I like, but ultimately I am the master. I am the, the definer of my community. For those who have declared with their life that they want community away from God, in death they receive that. And that's hell. And so when we read in what Pastor Carlos uh, read there, if you look in your, in your scriptures to Revelation 21, when he says this, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually, sexually immoral, all those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and liars, they will be consigned to a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. What that is describing is that is describing a reality for those who said, my community is me. Now, whenever we read passages that say, you want to know who's going to hell? Bam, bam, bam. The gossipers, those who hate, those who are greedy, etc. It makes me wince a little bit. And it makes me wince because I relate to some of that. See, what, what, what this isn't saying is those who've done these things, you're going to hell. What it's saying is those who choose to be defined by these things, who want their community to be defined by your independence from God, your community to be defined by your independence from his grace, he will not begrudge you that. He will give you exactly what you've asked for. However, the flip side of that is the fact that there is heaven, which is a community experiencing its fullness. The vision of scripture is, is something that is greater than, than, than just a death of community. It's the actual fulfillment of community. Uh, one theologian, uh, Grenz, um, said this, in short, the vision of scripture is clear. The final goal of the work of the triune God in salvation history is the establishment of the final community, a redeemed people dwelling in a renewed earth, enjoying reconciliation with their God fellowship with each other, and harmony with all creation. Kind of like, you know, real with God, real with each other. You get the idea. Consequently, the goal of community lies at the heart of God's actions in history. And God's ultimate intention for creation is the establishment of community. Take a look at the next chapter. In chapter 22, it says this. The, beginning with verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. This is describing the heavenly city and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Throughout Scripture, we see Scripture beginning with perfection, Eden, where there was community with God, community with each other, and community with nature all around. The brokenness of that leads to the cross. Because the cross, there's a people that have an opportunity to be a redeemed community, where it says that the leaves of this tree in the, in the end times, in the end city, are for the healing of the nation. 
Why would they need to be healed? Aren't they in heaven where everything's perfect? There's no, it just said there's no more tears, no more death. How amazing will it be to be in heaven where all of a sudden we're experiencing the healing that comes from understanding what it was always intended to be, like relationships with one another, relationships with, with our family, relationships with, with God that we always had a, a, a fraction of in our best times, but never the full picture until eternity. Eternity when all of a sudden we got to see each one of those relationships, each one of those aspects of community through the lens of the healing of what God has accomplished and there is no sin. And we see this, basically the return to Eden in its fulfillment for all time. And so I've got a couple of questions for you just here in closing. First off, are you in this community? Are you in this community? This, this description is describing, of a, is describing a redeemed people. Um, Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is calling you not simply to a belief. He's calling you to be, come into community with him as the master. And if you've never done that, that's something he's desiring for you to do. Tim Keller put it this way, God did not create us to get the cosmic, infinite joy of mutual love and glorification, but to share it. Let me repeat that. That's pretty important. God did not create us to get the cosmic, infinite joy of mutual love and glorification, but to share it. Why? Because he already had it. He already had mutual love and glorification from eternity past. He didn't create us to get that. He already had it. If we, set, we were made to join in the dance, if we center our lives on him, serving him not out of self-interest, but just for the sake of who he is, for the sake of his beauty and glory, we will enter the dance and share the, in the joy and the love he lives in. We were designed then not just for belief in God in some general way or in a vague kind of inspiration or spirituality, We were made to center our lives upon him, to make the purpose and passion of our lives knowing, serving, delighting, and resembling him. The growth and happiness will go on eternally, increasingly, unimaginably. Is that your story? Is this you? Are you in this community? If not, step into the dance. Step in, in in, in a very real way. Don't simply put a belief in something that you may have believed in the past. Actually, let this be someone that you are centering your life on. You're allowing your community, the community that you understand community to be something between you and God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you can experience, that is experiential. Make that your center. But not only that, ask the question this, are you in this community? As in this particular community, you're here at Manuka Bible Church here today, and if you're not a visitor, then this, this place is a church that, that is, is home to you. But it's very easy for us to do this type of thing, where we'll show up and we'll sit down in the seats, and, um, and that's kind of it. We'll like sit, we'll listen, we'll sing, and then we'll go home. And if, if the whole of what church is, is coming, sitting, listening, singing, and going home, we're not in this community. We're, we're spectators, Okay? When you first came to Manuka Bible Church, just think back to when that was. It might have been a long time ago. It might have been a short time ago. You might have been like, I, have, I don't know how weird these people are, so I'm going to sit in the back row, and I'm, going to show, I'm just going to show up five minutes. I'm going to show up 15 minutes late for the service. Sit in the back row. Take it in, and then like when the pastor's praying, lean over to the family and go, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. 
and get in the car, get out of here and go to Culver's before anyone else knows you're gone. And that might have been you for, for, for the first couple of weeks, but after a while, that gets old, right? After a while, you say, I don't feel like I know anyone. I don't feel like I'm building a relationship. And that's, that, that hunger for relationship and community is good. And so what we need to do is this. We are conditioned in American church culture to sit the way that you're sitting. You're all looking up here. The band's up here. The pastor that's preaching is up here. And so you're all looking forward. You're at, this room is designed for you not to see each other. Have you ever, like, isn't that disturbing? I mean, look at this. You're not, you're not designed to, you're designed, this is a very enlightenment period concept of the whole of churches is learning. But what if it was something that was deeper than that? What if it was actually descriptive of that early church community where we actually stepped into relationship? Where we realize that we have more in common with followers of Jesus than we do with anyone else. I am an, I'm a white American. Errol McFadden, I know this is a shocker, I'm a white, pasty white American. I, as a Christian, have more in common with a man in Afghanistan who speaks no English, who's a Christian, than I do my next door neighbor. If you're wealthy, you're resourced, you have funds. You, if you're, as a Christian, you have more in common with a homeless man who knows Jesus than you do with anyone else at the yacht club. If you're a high schooler and you're a Christian, you have more in common with someone who is ancient in your eyes, like I'm like 40 or something. You more like ancient, who has no understanding or, or able to relate to you than you do with your friends that you go to school with who aren't Christians. If you're a Cubs fan who's a Christian, you have more in common with a hardcore, diehard Cardinals fan who's a Christian than you do with the guy sitting next to you at Wrigley Field. As Christians, we have commonality that unites us. And if you're part of this community, we need to start leaning into that more. And one of the things we need to do is to start to practice more often actually trying to engage one another. And that means if you're here in this room, engaging people you don't know. So, does everyone have their name tags on? Go and put them on. If you don't have them on, put them on now because this is like critical. It's going to be so awkward if you don't. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to the black book. That's the friendship book. It has... Um, it has uh, little labels here, and you can quickly scribble your name on there, and no one's going to know that you're doing it right now. Howards, okay? Good. All right. <laughs> yes, I'm calling you out because I love you. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Right now, usually Pastor Carlos gives you about 30 seconds to do fellowship time, which is a joke. That gives you enough time to pivot, hello, hello, sit down, right? And there's not community time in that. It's one, of, it's one of the goofiest things we do as church people. But honestly, it's, it's something we're trying to like just prime the pump of other conversations. But today we're going to do more than simply prime it. We're going to give you an extended period of time before our final point to actually do this. If you're, you cannot stay on your side of the room. You, if you're on this side of the room, you're going to become a missionary to that side of the room. This side of the room, you're going to do this. This is going to look like, like a Braveheart battle where you're just like coming together, okay? And so what I want you to do is this. Here's all I want you to do. You're going to go up to as many people as you can in the time we've given you and simply go up and you're going to see their name. You're going to see their name because it's written on the name badge. And you're going to say, oh, Hello. Hello, Anne. How's it going? My name's Errol. And they're going to say, he, knowed my, he knew my name. He doesn't. 
but he read it on your name badge. And so, but that, what that's going to do is it's going to provide a, a fraction of a moment for you to actually know this person's name, see it, call it out, introduce yourself, and vice versa. And we're going to do this with as many people as we can, okay? If, if you really like the person, you could bring them back to your row. That's totally fine. But what I want you to do is, is we're going to do that in the next few moments. And so people on this side, that side, that side, this side. Ready? On your mark. Get set. Go. to move back. Feel free to invite people back to your row. That's fine. All right. I got to say that um, I just love... When, we did that last night, and I just love standing up here and watching. Well, wasn't that cool? I mean, it was simple, simplistic even, but it was cool. And, the, and it was so neat because just watching your faces as people are getting to, to see each other and meet each other. As Christians that are in this community, we are called not to simply to come and learn. We are not called to simply to come and be educated or to have an opportunity to worship God 
um, where we're in proximity to other people. We were called instead to be the type of people that are actually doing something beyond that by engaging one another, building community. If you're coming to NBC and you're not building community, then this isn't community for you. This is just a place for you to spectate. And there's easier ways to spectate. But I want to encourage you that there's a far richer thing that God affords us in the local church, which is to actually step into relationship in a deeper way. What I want to, uh, this fall, what we're doing is this. We, we've been trying to retool all of our real life groups. So we're like launching a lot more where they're going to be taking place all throughout the week. And this is for all ages because the goal for, for our faith is not simply to, again, to show up and go home, but to, to engage. The early church met with each other consistently through the week because they needed it. And so do we. We need to have community where we get a chance to sit in people's living rooms and, and gather around God's word and, and talk about what God has called us to do and, and live that out and flesh that out and experience that. And so this fall, it's going to be in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be hitting that, that drum hard between now and then. Be looking for a wall. We're going to be setting up a wall where there's going to be a full thing of people where you could just grab one of these. Um, basically, it's going to be a little pamphlet on every single small group, and you could say, okay, I'm going to try this out. If you're in a small group, you're going to notice that there's going to be a whole bunch of new people coming to your small group, and you're going to have an opportunity to meet new people. As they are coming into your small groups, get to know them. Start to build that community. Start to realize that the goal of our church is not simply for you to be with you in your huddle, but to see that huddle grow and multiply and become disciples of Jesus. Step into the mix. Not only that, but I want to ask you the final question. Are you in this community? Are you in this community? Community is something where, where, where a place has, has um, a bunch of people who have availability that can see needs and meet them, and they do it in, 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 within this concept of serving one another. Again, modeled off of the perichoresis we see in the triunity of, Jesus, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We try to model that within within ourselves. One of the things within church community is this. When you showed up here, there were people who are, who are actually stepping into this community by stepping into the action and they greeted you. They might have been the person who folded your program. They might have been the person who cut your, the, the, the notes that you took notes on. They might have been the person who strung the lights in here or set up the stage. They might have been the person who, who served you the coffee that you're drinking or the person who's taking care of the kids in the other services. Or there might be the people that are teaching the Bible studies and teaching the, the, the Reality U classes in the fall. I want to encourage you to not simply be a consumer, but to be someone who's pouring in. And if you're thinking, I'm, I don't have a lot to offer, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus at Manuka Bible Church, you do, and we need your help. Um, one of the things that you're going to see when you walk right out there, there's a table, and you're going to see this out there. This is the Great Church Giveaway. This is like an easy way to step in. We need help in, in setting this up. This room gets transformed into a massive garage sale where we're giving everything away for free. We're giving everything away to free for the people in our community that needs it, and, and they're able to snag things that are, are lifesavers for them, that this church not only donates, but sets up. We need people for that. So go straight out there and sign up for that. We need people for that midweek program that Pastor Nick was talking about. A couple years back, we had a, a Wednesday night program for kindergarten through fifth grade. And it was great. But when we added another service on the weekend, we were short on volunteers. So we had to take all the volunteers from that and put them into the weekend. And we had to kill that midweek program. Well, that, just like anything else in Christianity, things that are dead get resurrected. And so we're bringing it back. And we're seeing that opportunity to come back to, to minister to kindergarten through fourth graders. But we need 
people. We need adults that are willing to love kids and, and shepherd kids. And if you're like, I don't know if I'm qualified, talk to Pastor Josh and find out if you are. But we need people for that. So step into that. That's going to be on Wednesday nights. There's tons of stuff, whether it's food pantry or anything else that's happening around this church. Don't simply be a consumer. Don't simply be a spectator. And I'm not saying that just because we have needs. I'm saying that because I care about your heart and your soul. As a follower of Jesus, that is the way that we see God do amazing things in our life and our discipleship grow is when we're participating in the work that he's doing to the local church. I, I love this church. I love this church. I've been at this church now, I'm pushing 19 years. I came here when I was two years old. No, I, was, I came here when I was like... Uh, 21, I think. And, and now I'm pushing 40. So I am that old guy. I love the fact that for the past 18 and a half years, I've had a chance to grow as a disciple in this church, not only just as a pastor. And I love the fact that I've had a chance to meet each one of you. Some of you have had a chance to walk with you through tragedy in your life with your kids, with your own personal life. I've had a chance to watch some of you run away from Jesus and then come back. It's been amazing. Let's continue stepping through this together and realizing that just as all these people in this church community have shown up over the years, God has a lot more out there that do not know him, have not surrendered their life to him, that need to know him, that will see in here following him in a matter of time. And I want you to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. We need a God who's with us between the trees. And we do. And he has given us one of the greatest gifts of community with himself and community with one another. Let's live that out at full volume. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray for this community that we are surrendered to you, that you help us follow the Spirit's lead, that we don't get ahead of you or behind you, but we're in step with you. Lord, I pray that as a community, we learn to forgive that we learn to reconcile, that we learn to be bold, that we learn to be humble and accountable, that we, we learn to be surrendered. That this, this church is a beacon that will be a beacon not only for those inside, but for those on the outside who have yet to know you. And Lord, we pray for them. We pray that they come to know you. And when we see that happen, and we see what you do in and through this, this congregation, we will give you the thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's go live.